Welcome to this podcast from the University of Exeter Business School. Today we are talking to Professor Will Harvey and Navdi Harua about their research into the triggers that compel individuals to commit white collar crime. We'll be discussing their research and its particular relevance to the current COVID-19 crisis where both individuals and organisations are under increased pressure. Hello Will, hello Navdi. Can I start by asking you to explain the background to your collaboration and research? Hi Toby, great to be here. Well, Navdeep approached me over three years ago about a potential PhD project on startup organisations. And to cut a long story short, uh, Navdeep ended up being indicted uh, in a US federal prison. And we were having a telephone call um, while Navdeep was in prison. Uh, about his PhD and he suddenly said to me well it's really strange but there are a lot of people like me uh, in the prison and then a light bulb moment came up in my mind which was this has to be the PhD project if there are lots of highly educated very smart professionally successful individuals in one prison then that would create a wonderful environment to understand what causes white collar crime and what can we do to prevent it. And turning to you, Navdeep, what was the motivation for embarking on the research in this area? Thank you, Toby. Uh, The motivation really was, you know, learning from my own mistakes and the mistakes of others just like me to help people in the future. So fundamentally then, why is there a problem with white collar crime? I think from my perspective, you know, we often focus on, on other kinds of crime, often uh, uh, violent forms of crime. But actually, I think we underplay the importance uh, of white collar crime, often because the victim is not immediately visible to the person who's perpetrating. And it can take a long time to actually see or understand what kind of impact uh, the crime can have on others. The other aspect is that it's quite a slippery slope so that once people start to kind of um, operate unethically, it can lead to other forms of deviant behavior and and quickly it can create a very serious uh, situation. And I think why it's particularly important to understand is that counterintuitively and even right now, we often think uh, about uh, harsher forms of compliance and greater controls being a a way to prevent white collar crime. But I think what Navdeep and I have found from this study is actually the intent of compliance regulation controls, which is to reduce, could actually have the inverse effect if excessively applied. And looking at the current situation we all find ourselves in, would you say that the risk of white collar crime has now increased? Will and I do believe that there's high potential for significant levels of misconduct driven primarily by greater short-term performance targets and harsher regulations that the post-COVID environment is likely to create. And and is that really, in, in simple terms, that people just feel more under pressure and are perhaps more driven or willing to take risks that they wouldn't otherwise undertake? That's precisely right. I think you hit the nail on the head. On the one hand, it would be the pressure to perform against unprecedented corporate targets. On the other hand, it would be much harsher regulations and a very aggressive controls and compliance regimes. 
And Will and I believe that caught between those two, individuals tend to conflate ethical issues with cost-benefit decisions and thus a higher likelihood for professional misconduct. Turning back to the research, um, my understanding is it's quite unusual in, in how the research was carried out. Can you explain that? Happy to, Toby. Um, so as I mentioned, we had this unique situation where Navdeep was an inmate himself, and this presented two opportunities. One is that firstly, gaining access to conduct interviews within a prison is a very difficult thing uh, in terms of ethics approval, uh, getting permission from the prison service. Uh, and secondly, because of Navdeep's position in relation to others who that he was interviewing, that also really opened up an opportunity for a much more candid and honest insight, which would not necessarily be possible if someone was coming from the outside, so to speak. So that was a great opportunity. And from that then, Navdeep conducted three rounds of interviews with 70 inmates in a US federal prison. In addition, he did close to a dozen focus groups uh, with those same individuals to try and sort of tease out some of the issues that we were looking at in terms of what causes people to um, act unethically uh, and commit misconduct and also to understand what these people are doing to rehabilitate. Also, you see, because Navdeep was in the prison himself, he had the opportunity to follow up from these types of interviews and focus groups informally with people. Uh, and, and this is where a lot of tacit knowledge and interesting insights start to come. Uh, and finally, we had great cooperation with the prison officers as well. Both Navdeep and myself had several conversations so that they were able to give us a, a slightly different insight and lens to that which the inmates were providing. So overall, I think this is a very unique and rich source of data to understand the causes uh, of professional misconduct. And in terms of what you found from the research, what were the, the principal findings? There are three key findings that I would like to headline. Number one, counter to prevailing perceptions and thinking, greed only plays a very small part in driving professional misconduct and unethical behavior. Number two, we have found that most of the highly educated and successful and intelligent professionals sleepwalk across ethical lines over time. They, they end up on this slippery slope and, and do not even realize when they've crossed ethical lines. And number three, this crossing the ethical line comes about as an interplay, as an interaction of several individual triggers along with several organizational factors and the environmental context. By environmental context, you know, I'm, I'm referring to, for example, the level of regulation, controls and compliance in our socioeconomic world. Thank you. And I guess the thing that jumps out there for me is the fact that greed only plays a, a small part. I think most people would expect that actually greed is the say well, root of evil in, in that people are doing this to get more money or more power but your, your research then says that that actually is not really the, the primary motivation. That is precisely correct. Uh, in our study less than 10% of the people were actually driven by financial incentives. The rest of the people uh, I think it was it was a combination of five or six different individual triggers 
are, you know, and I'll, I'll highlight a few of those. One was burden of custodianship. The second one was fear of failure. And failure, when I talk about failure, I'm not talking about the failure in terms of monetary incentives, but failure in terms of being able to pursue a certain lifestyle, failure in terms of being able to, uh, to have a certain occupation and enjoy the type of professional respect that people enjoy. The third one I would like to ha- highlight is unique personal beliefs and values that some people have. The fourth one, another interesting one uh, that, that we found uh, quite uh, predominant among the participants of our research was ego and hubris uh, that, that normally sets in after you know, people have been very successful and, and, and have worked for large organizations that are regarded as you know, industry leaders and watchdogs and end up building this sense of invincibility. And so those are, the, those are the factors that really come together along with organizational factors and the environmental context to push people over ethical lines. Thank you. And, and talking about, the, I guess, the environmental factors at the moment, I mean, we find ourselves in this extraordinary environment where we're all under increased pressure. Um, so what does the research really point to about the risks in the, the current situation we find ourselves in? I think building on what Navdeep has just said, I think organisations need, need to really reflect on those three broad areas. So what is happening at an individual level, trying to understand a person's own context, whether that's a family context, whether it's a, a personal context. Second is thinking very carefully about what is going on right now within the organization, what's its health, what's the culture of the organization, what types of behaviors are we observing within the organization. And then, of course, as you've just alluded to, Toby, you know, the the wider environment right now is extremely challenging, uh, very stressful, um, inhibiting at best for most people and debilitating um, and extremely costly uh, at worst. And so uh, my sort of um, message to others is not to fixate on any one of those three levels, the individual, the organization and the environment but to really think about all three working in tandem, because it's actually quite rare, let's say for an individual factor, to to operate in isolation from the others and vice versa. So really trying to understand the bigger picture alongside the kind of the small micro level picture is probably the best way to truly understand the risk as an organization you have to potential misconduct. And and I guess really in in talking about the risk, if you don't get, this right, um, the the cost to an individual organisation and, and the, the damage can be huge. Um, it's never deep. I'm sure that's you know obviously very personal to you, but I mean there is there is a big cost to this. Yes, Toby, absolutely. And uh, there are, I would say, three dimensions of that cost. I think one is obviously the individual reputation. As I can relate to this, I had a uh, you know marvelously successful career. Uh, you know, became a senior partner at McKinsey and Company, and you know I believe I did a million good things, but one small mistake brought it all down to the ground. Number two 
it's the reputation of the organization that you represent and you know the lives and careers of hundreds of others that you have mentored and coached in the past that you're staking and number three i would say the most devastating and the one that i would have you know uh, that that by far exceeds anything i could have suffered in my life is is the devastation and the anguish caused to our families friends and others who have counted on us and believed in us thank you for sharing that nadi that's that's really insightful um, i guess moving on to sort of the, um, the, the practical elements of this in order to avoid unethical and uh, illegal behavior what are some of the steps that uh, that we need to consider that's a great question uh, toby and uh, i think i'll 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 sum up our findings into one massive headline uh, which is rather than focusing on firefighting a problem and being reactive the answer to this is to really understand the genesis the root causes and the chain link of triggers that lead to the problem and as as will alluded to earlier there are three parts uh, to this the individual triggers who are the people you know the people who actually cause these problems at the front line the organizations that at times uh, contribute to the conditions that trigger those responses from individuals and behind the scenes the the environmental context for example the regulatory control and compliance regime that at times pushes people to take actions that result in uh, professional misconduct so so i think i think to to sum it all up it's all about understanding the root causes and the chain link of those triggers and then proactively mitigating and preventing those in in terms of your advice for both individual managers at this time and organizations as a whole how, how would you sum that up I would broadly say three important things here. One, and, and arguably most important, understand your people well. Uh, you, you need to support them right now. This is a very difficult time. Um, and try and proactively find out where the problems exist, because often where, where the problems exist are the root causes of some of the, the issues at hand. Secondly, um, every organization has a culture. Um, so I think it's really ensuring that as an organization, your mission, your values and the goals uh, are, are suitable for your organization. They're clear for your members, your employees, uh, and importantly, that they translate into the types of behaviors that you would expect uh, from them. And then thirdly, I think it's reflecting on how the wider uh, environment can both support and at times damage the well-being of your organization and its employees. And unfortunately, right now, of course, in most cases, that the wider context is extremely damaging. And, and I use that term damaging in, a, in, a, in the broadest sense. Um, that's not to say there aren't opportunities and potentials as well, but unfortunately, most of the challenges are damaging. And so those three insights, I think, really come back to, to what sort of come through so strongly from the data from this study, which is the causes of a lot of these challenges. You know, 
sit at the individual level, the organizational level and the environmental level. And so if you can work at those three levels in tandem, then that not only makes your organization healthy, uh, and it also helps to prevent this problem of misconduct, which has been uh, the centrality of our discussion today. As a last uh, point, I guess, Navdeep, would you have anything uh, to say to the leaders of organizations, CEOs, the people tasked with um, uh, ahead of many of our companies? What's your advice for them? That's an excellent question, Toby. And, you know, it, it brings to mind Peter Drucker's famous saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast. The real question then is how do we create the right culture and translate that into the kind of behaviors that we want you know, our people to espouse? I'll sum it up in three bullets. Uh, Will and I have found through our research that there are three factors, three very tangible things that, that can help leaders build the right organization. In addition to, you know, of course, establishing the right values in the organization that we've talked about. Number one, providing social anchoring to employees to prevent isolation during times of stress. The type of stress that we believe employees are going to undergo in the post-COVID environment. Number two, decoupling standards for business and ethical decisions. I think what we have found is that under duress, under pressure, people tend to conflict ethical issues with cost-benefit decisions. Number three, reducing sources of friction within organizations and providing incentives for people to undertake the right behaviors. And I think what I specifically mean is when people are in trouble, giving them a respectful out, a graceful out, of these situations can prevent serious levels of professional misconduct that we believe we might be exposed to in the times to come. Great. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you very much, Navdeep and Will. That's an absolutely fascinating insight into your research and work. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Toby.